First scripture reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 3. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Second scripture is from Ephesians 5. He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. As a church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. Husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Third scripture is from 1 Corinthians. We have spoken honestly with you, and our hearts are open to you. There is no lack in love on our part, but you have withheld your love from us. Open your hearts to us. We're in the third week now of this four-part series on the subject of marriage. And we're going to be engaged in the exact same project for these last two weeks of this series, weeks three and weeks four, where we're going to be looking at uh, two of each week the top needs, main needs of men and of women and looking at how we often fail to meet those needs and what we can do to to remedy that and learn what these needs are and develop skills at meeting the needs of our spouses. And we set all this up last week, so if you missed last week, you may need to go back and listen to that. Last week was about the subject of staying in love. What we said is staying in love is actually pretty straightforward. It's, It's not very complicated. It's just meeting each other's needs. It's really all there is to it. But the hurdle of that is we often don't know what the needs are. And we haven't, haven't developed proficiency in the skill set needed to meet those needs. So we're going to try to address that in these final two weeks of the series. And like I said, each week we're going to look at a pair of needs. One of the man's top needs and one of the woman's top needs. And we're, the, the, the two aren't chosen randomly. They're, they're connected. We're choosing two pairs that are highly related to each other and kind of uh, exist in this symbiotic relationship. So next week, for example, we're going to be looking at the man's need for sex, the woman's need for affection. Very different, but very closely related. This week, we're looking at two other needs that are just as important, which is the woman's need for her husband to be open and honest with her, totally open and honest. Woman's need for openness and honesty, and then the man's need for respect and admiration. Openness and honesty and respect and admiration. If you want to flip it and look at it negatively instead, you could say that we're looking at these two problems in marriage, which is the critical, disrespectful wife, and then this private, closed-off husband. You say, well, well, aren't there critical, disrespectful husbands and private, closed-off wives? And yes, there are. You know, we've been saying that throughout. There are exceptions to every rule. Every couple is different. Every individual is different. But in general, the problems arise along these lines on average. So we're talking, it may not apply to you. We're talking to 
the majority, and for the majority, this is the problem, the private, closed-off husband and the critical, disrespectful wife. So if you are a critical, disrespectful wife, I'm coming after you this morning. If you are a private, closed-off husband, I'm coming after you this morning because you are robbing your spouse of something that they desperately need, and you are preventing your marriage from becoming all that it could be. So those will be the two sections of the sermon, just two halves. We'll first talk about the woman's need for openness and honesty from her husband, and then we'll shift halfway through and talk about the man's need for respect and admiration from his wife. So first, openness and honesty. The woman's need for openness and honesty from her husband. I want to break it down into three subsections. First, I want to talk to the women about why it is that your husband has such a hard time being open and honest with you. Then second, I want to talk to the men about why it's so important to your wives that you do this, why it's so essential that you change in this area. And then lastly, I want to talk about the what it looks like practically, what it means to be open and honest in your marriage. So first, to the wives, why your husbands have such a hard time being open and honest. And here we're just picking up on an idea that we already introduced in week one of the series. We're just Expanding on it, this is review, which is that one of the effects of sin, and you heard the passage read again, one of the effects of sin is that we hide now from each other because of, of this new mentality, this new disease that has entered into us. So before they were naked without shame, we talked at length about this in week one, and now they knew they were naked. That's that phrase, that, you, that, that poignant phrase. They knew they were naked and they sewed loincloths and they hid in the trees. And we said in week one that this affects both partners, but what I want to say this week is that it's always going to affect men more. So this, the effects of this sin disease are going to fall heavier. Certain aspects of it are going to fall heavier on one partner or the other based on just our, our gender wiring, essentially. And this tendency to hide, this, this way that sin makes us hide from one another, falls heaviest on men. The reason for that, and this is why the two sections of the sermon go together, and you'll see more about this in the second half of the sermon. The reason for that is that men have this intense need to be respected and admired. It's a deeper need for many men, even than being loved. And the problem is, every man in here, including me, has done things that he is ashamed of. So those two things are in conflict, because you have this deep, intense need to be respected and admired, but you have these things you've done that you're ashamed of, and so you want to cover those up, especially from your wife, because you want respect and admiration from her more than anybody else. So we hide. We hide because revealing this stuff means lack of respect is how we see it, lack of admiration, and that's death to us. And this is why you have men avoiding conflict in relationships. Um, you know, both parties can avoid conflict again, but it's more often the man, both parties can hide. It's more often the man, if you ask a marriage counselor, what they'll say is uh, the vast majority of the time, not every time, but the vast majority of the time when they come and see this couple together, it's the man who has the secrets, and it's the man who's the avoider and is avoiding conflict in the relationship. And we avoid conflict, you know, we play it off like, well, I want to be mature. I don't want to make a big deal out of a small thing. You know, why do we need to fight all the time? downplay it. I'm just a cool, laid-back guy. But the truth is, we avoid conflict because it's scary. Because if there's conflict, that means there's an issue. And if there's an issue, it's at least partly our fault. And if it's partly our fault, that means at the bottom of that is some flaw in us that we don't want revealed. And so we push away. John Gottman is the researcher at University of Washington. He studied this a lot. He says 85% 
of husbands employ this strategy of stonewalling their wives. It's just completely shutting down and refusing to talk about it. So virtually all men do this because they're so afraid of being revealed, their flaws and their, their mistakes being revealed and then not being respected. It's not just avoiding conflict. It spills into other areas of your life as well. So once you get adept at kind of hiding a little bit or fudging a little bit to avoid conflict, then you can just start doing it in every area of your life. Anything that you want to kind of cover over or fudge a little bit to make yourself look a little bit better, you do it. And, and so then you have these conversations where, you know, you're asking questions and you're not getting answers back. I read one marriage counselor this week talking about a couple he had worked with where the wife would ask just simple questions. What are you feeling or what are you thinking? And the husband would evade with, by trying to make a joke of it. Like uh, he'd say, what, are you a reporter? Are you writing a book? You know, try to push her away and keep her from asking these questions. He just didn't want to give honest answers. It's not just avoiding conflict. It's avoiding honesty and being forthright in every area. Let me read to you what, what one husband says about how this turned out in his marriage. We'll put this up on the screen. He says, I did not reveal myself to her. I stuffed many of my thoughts, emotions, and needs that I feared would lead to rejection if I voiced them. This was cutting her off. I've known for many, many years that honesty and openness is God's way, but had not really come to terms with it until recently. That's the first subsection of this first half of the sermon, uh, why men do this, why this is kind of a, a default MO. Second subsection of the first half is talking to the men about why it's so important that you change, why this is such a big deal to your wives. Gloria Steinem, the feminist mystique lady, has a line somewhere that goes something like, the surest way to be alone is to get married. And what she's talking about is this experience of many women, if not the majority of women, where they get married and they expect a certain intimacy, and then that intimacy isn't there at all, and they feel far more alone than before, because what they were expecting when they married you is that they would actually get to know you. They were expecting that you would share your thoughts and your feelings with them, that you would share your plans, that you would share your past, that you would become one flesh. That's what we talked about in week one. That's the biblical model for marriage, not just one body, but one person, which obviously means sharing your thoughts and feelings. And when you don't do that, and when you hide, and when you wall yourself off, your wife feels very cheated, and she has a right to feel cheated, because it's not really marriage. You're not a married couple. You're married singles. You have your own life still apart from her, and she feels like she can't know you. And if she can't know you, then she can't love you. She can't be in love with you. You know, the, the basic framework of this whole thing, remember, are what are these needs that we need met in order to be in love with one another? For women, and for some men too, but primarily for women, one of those needs, one of those deep emotional needs is openness and honesty from their husband. And it's one of those things where if they don't have it, it's, it's over. They cannot be in love with someone who is not open and honest with them. But on the flip side, if they do have it, if they do have openness and honesty from you, it's almost as if they can't help but be in love with you. Most women cannot help but be in love with a man who is fully open and honest with them. And if you withhold that from them, if you withhold openness and honesty from them, because it is such a deep emotional need, you're putting them in a very difficult position because there's an extremely strong temptation to meet that need outside the marriage with any other man that is willing to be open and honest with them, a friend 
or colleague. And you're putting them in a really tough spot by not giving them what they need. So the third thing in this first half of the sermon is what does it look like? What does it look like for a man to be open and honest with his wife? What are we talking about here? And two types of honesty and openness in particular that I'm thinking of. The first is emotional honesty or openness, and then the second is factual honesty or openness. So first, emotional honesty or openness. I want to read you this verse from Second Corinthians that Gary read earlier. We'll put it up on the screen. Paul says, We have spoken honestly with you, and our hearts are open to you. There's no lack of love on our part, but you have withheld your love from us. Open your hearts to us. Now, admittedly, this passage has nothing to do with marriage. This is Paul talking to a church that he's working with. But I couldn't resist using it this week because it so perfectly expresses the way many wives feel toward their husbands. Let me read this again. Husbands, this is what your wives want to say to you. We have spoken honestly with you, and our hearts are open to you. There's no lack of love on our part, but you have withheld your love from us. Open your hearts to us. And in saying open your hearts to us, we're we're specifically talking about talking about your feelings, talking about your emotions, putting words to the way you feel, the positive things you feel and the negative things you feel, saying, I feel sad because I feel happy because I feel excited because I feel afraid because talking about your feelings. And I know that this is stereotypically the number one thing that men don't like to do, you know, sit around and talk about their feelings. And it's also the, the, stereotype, the negative stereotype of counseling or therapy. You know, the, the counselor just say, well, how did you feel about that? Tell me, how did you feel about that? And the reason men make fun of this is because they feel embarrassed that they can't do something that's so simple. It's very natural for women to do, most women to do. It's a very simple, very basic part of being a human being, being able to talk about your feelings. And a lot of men can't do it innately. If they didn't learn how to do it growing up, they just can't do it. And so if you don't know how to do something, you just make fun of it. Oh, that's that's so dumb. That's so silly. Because you don't know how to do it. If you're a man and you don't know how to talk about your feelings, you owe it to your wife to develop that skill. And it will be awkward at first. You won't feel good. It's just like any new skill that you developed, skiing or whatever it is. You know, if you've never skied before and you go and try to ski as an adult, you're going to fall down a lot. You're going to look silly. Same thing here. If you're not used to this, it's going to feel silly at first, but you owe your wife emotional honesty, telling her with words about your feelings. That's part of being married. You cannot withhold it from her. You say, well, you know, my wife understands. My wife understands that I'm, I'm not like that. No, she doesn't understand. She may have accepted it. She may have come to terms with it, but she will always be unfulfilled if you withhold this from her. So emotional honesty and openness. And then secondly, factual honesty and openness, according to three time horizons. So first, a uh, future factual honesty and openness, being honest with your wife about your future plans, what you're thinking about for next week, next month, next year, the next decade. And you don't really have a right as a husband to to play it close to the vest here and act like, you know, you've got this plan when you really don't and not tell your wife what you're thinking because she has a right to know. She has a right to know what you're thinking so she can plan around you. And I know the plan is, well, you know, if I, if I just keep quiet, then maybe she'll think I've got it all together. I've got it covered. 
Or if I tell her what my plan is, she's going to say it's dumb. Well, maybe, but maybe she can help you come up with a better plan. And we're going to talk about, you know, in section two, this need for respect and how wives, you can avoid making your husband feel dumb and you can cultivate an environment where he's willing to share his thoughts with you because you don't punish him for his honesty and openness. But first, we're talking to men and you have to be honest with your wife about your plans. Secondly, present honesty, just your, your every day. Your wife should know what you're doing all day, every day. She should know when you're arriving, when you're departing from wherever you're arriving or departing. Your entire calendar should be shared with your wife. That's easy today. That's one click of a button. She can have your whole calendar on her phone right next to hers. There's no reason for any secrecy or any privacy of any kind when it comes to your personal affairs and your schedule. And then lastly, not just future and present honesty, but also honesty about the facts of your past. Honesty about your personal history, specifically those parts of your personal history that make you look bad, the parts that are painful, specifically your sexual history, your relational history, the the parts of your history that show weakness on your part. In other words, the parts you want to hide. You have to share all of that, maybe not all at once, but at some point you have to share all of that with your wife. And you say, well, maybe future, maybe present, but sorry, not past, you know. It's not happening. It's just not going to happen. And that's fine, but let me just say that you deserve every ounce of loneliness and misery that you have coming to you in your marriage. Because this is an easy fix. It's an easy fix. You just have to do it. You just have to be a man and rip off the Band-Aid and do it. And if you do... If you do, then you have this lifetime of intimacy and closeness that you never knew was possible. Now, I'm not saying it's not going to get worse before it gets better, because of course it will. Of course, your next month is going to be a lot worse with honesty than it was going to be if you just kept quiet. And maybe your next year, maybe your next couple years. But think about... (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, I don't and maybe that's... I mean, maybe that's, maybe that's too much for you. Maybe that's too high a price to pay, that I'm, gonna, I'm not going to have a worse month or year or couple years because of this. But you know what a wise person does? A wise person thinks long-term. A wise person doesn't just think about the next month or year or couple years. A wise person thinks about the whole of their life. And how is it going to feel in year 30 or year 40 of your marriage to still have these secrets and to have drifted over the decades slowly further and further apart from your wife when you could have done something about it this year and you could have put yourself on this path to intimacy and fulfillment? And, you know, you say, well, what good can it possibly do to dig all that stuff up? What good it does is that stuff is you. That wasn't some other guy that did that stuff. You did that stuff. And a marriage is a relationship between two people, two real people, not two projections of people, not two people putting on a show. If you're going to have a relationship with your wife and you're going to be the real you, she has to know that stuff. You have to be honest with her about your past. Maybe it's something you do in the context of counseling. You know, depending on what it is that you're revealing, it can be helpful to have somebody else there to guide you through that. High price to pay up front. Huge rewards in the long term. Honesty about your past, your present, your future. Factual honesty. Honesty about your emotions. So we covered a lot in a short amount of time. We looked at what honesty actually looks like. We looked at why it's so important to women. We looked at why it's so hard for men. And now we're switching to the second half of the sermon. We've been uh, hammering on the men, targeting the men. 
And now, for the rest of the time, the women are going to be in the crosshairs because the second half of the sermon is talking about a man's deep need for respect and admiration, uh, especially from his wife. And just like how I don't think most men understand why openness and uh, honesty is such a big deal to women, I do not think that most women understand how big a deal respect and admiration is to men. Maybe a lot of men don't even understand it. When you tell them, they say, yeah, that's me, but they may not have put words to it before. But for most men, like I alluded to earlier, um, respect, the need for respect is an even more primary need than the need for love. Now, obviously, you both need both. So men and women both need love and respect. But the question is, which is more primary, which is more essential? So it's like water and food. Uh, you, don't, you need both, but water is more essential because you can go three days without water. You can go 40 days without food. So for women, love is water for most women. For for men, water is respect. If They did a national survey a few years back, and 75% of men said they were given a choice, would you rather be unloved or unrespected in the world? 75% of men said, I'd rather be unloved. It's fundamental and primary for men. It's this deep need for them. It's how they're wired. It's just who they are. And as a woman, it's, if you're not wired that way, and most women aren't, And it's difficult for you to understand that and understand what you're doing to your husband when you withhold respect. Uh, Because a lot of women, though they love their husbands, have not cultivated respect for him. I was reading one marriage counselor this week who said that when he asked women who are coming in for counseling, marriage counseling, do you love your husband? They always say yes without a beat. But when he asked, do you respect your husband? There's usually hesitation. And your husband knows that. If there is hesitation, your husband knows that. He can sense it. Most husbands know after a year of marriage, they know that, yes, their wife loves them, but they're not sure that she respects them as a man and as a human being. And that crushes them. That absolutely crushes their spirit. And you say, well, you know, I would be happy to respect my husband if he earned my respect. But that's not how it works, actually. I want to show you this, this verse. Let's look up on the screen. This is from, uh, I don't think I have this. Maybe we don't have it on the screen either. This is from Ephesians 5. Do we have Ephesians 5? Well, I don't know if we want to make it happen. Oh, here it is. Nice. Okay. Um, so, so again, I say, this is uh, 22, uh, sorry, 5 verse 33. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. Let me, let me read that to you again. This is the last verse of Ephesians chapter 5. And, and Paul says, So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, either those words are interchangeable, love and respect, or they're not. Here's the argument for them not being interchangeable. He's, this is coming at the end of a passage. Basically, this whole series is just looking at the Genesis chapter 3 and Ephesians 5 every week from a different angle. And that's what we're doing again this morning. So we've already read this passage several times throughout this series. He's, he's talking to wives, and he's talking to husbands, and three or four times in the passage he says, wives, you need to submit to, in other words, you need to respect your husbands. Three or four times in the passage he says, uh, husbands, you need to love your wives. 
He never says to husbands, you need to respect your wives. He never says to wives, you need to love your husbands. Is that because they don't? No, maybe it's because Paul has some deep insight into the sexes through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he knows that he doesn't have to command wives to love their husbands because they're going to do that naturally. The hard part is the respect. So that's where he places the emphasis. So what I want to ask you is, are you being disrespectful to your husband. He said, well, I just don't like the way you phrase that. You know, disrespectful. I mean, it just makes me feel like, you know, I mean, that's what people used to say as a kid to adults, disrespectful to adults, an authority figure. You know, it makes me think of the 1950s, before the, the Cultural Revolution. That's very weird. But that's what the Bible is saying. And this is one of these places where if we can cling to the Bible instead of culture, we can recover something really good and beautiful about marriage. Because what the Bible talks about is not your husband earning your respect, but rather respect is a command. Respect is a command. He doesn't have to earn it. Because my question is, do you think that you should have to earn your husband's love? And if not, well, remember that respect is just as fundamental for him as love is for you. He shouldn't have to earn it. Rather, it should be unconditional respect. You've heard of unconditional love before. What about unconditional respect? It's not an oxymoron. It's something that you can offer to your husband, even if he's not worthy of it. And if you do offer it to him, he will slowly become a man who is worthy of it. You say, well, what would that even look like? Unconditional respect, offering my husband respect whether he deserves it or not. How would I do that? Do I just, you know, lie and say, oh, I admire you so much when I don't? <laughs> uh, no, that's, that's not it. Uh, fake respect is worse than no respect at all. Uh, there are a couple of things you can do. The first thing you can do is focus on the positive. You can sit down and make a list of all the things you do respect and admire about your husband. And you may even want to share that with him slowly over time, start mentioning those things. Maybe all sorts of things that you don't respect and admire, but I bet there are a few, no matter how bad things have gotten, I bet there are a few things that you do respect and admire. You can focus on those. And as you do focus on them, you'll feel your, your admiration and respect naturally grow. But that's not even what we're talking about. We're talking about unconditional respect, which means showing respect, whether you feel it or not. Or put differently, it means avoiding disrespect, whether you feel it or not. Because whether you truly feel respect for your husband or not, every wife has it within her power to avoid doing things that are disrespectful or that are interpreted as disrespectful. And you say, well, what, what sort of things did you have in mind? Well, I, I have a list. Um, or a few categories, rather, three categories of things that can be interpreted as disrespectful, and we'll put these up on the screen. So first, criticizing and correcting. Number one, criticizing and correcting. A lot of women feel that it is their job to straighten out their husband and to help him become the best version of himself to be their husband's harshest critic. And what I need to tell you is that is not received as love. That is received as disrespect, and it was received as a lack of admiration. Let me show you this quote from Ruth Bell Graham, the wife of Billy Graham, that I really like. She says, it's my job to love and respect Billy. It's God's job to make him good. God called you not to make your husband good, but to make him happy. And that may sound so backwards to you and so old-fashioned, but just try it. Just try it in your marriage. If you refrained from criticizing and correcting, instead left that to God to make your husband into a better version of himself. Now, I'm not talking about suffering in silence. I'm not talking about not voicing your feelings. I'm not talking about not raising issues when they come up or addressing your husband when you have unmet needs. That's not at all what we're saying. But watch how this works. If you've made a habit 
out of not criticizing and not correcting, especially over little things, then your husband can be secure enough to actually hear you out when there is a serious thing that needs to be discussed. If you attack the problem and not him, if you talk about your feelings and not what a bad person he is, your husband can actually hear you if there's not this culture of criticism already in place. On the other hand, if there is a culture of criticism already in place, then every time there's something we need to talk about, Your husband is going to hear more criticism coming his way. He's going to hear more reasons that you don't respect him, and it's going to be more crushing to him. So that's the first thing, avoiding criticizing and correcting. Number two, commanding and contradicting. The second area of disrespectful activities or behaviors is commanding and contradicting. By commanding, I mean kind of basically, and this is going to sound absurd to you women at first, but basically any direct instruction, do this, don't do this. Let me read you something from uh, Larry Crabb, who's a Christian author and psychologist. He says this. We'll put this up on the screen. Some time ago, my wife and I were on our way to our favorite pizza restaurant. In the backseat of the car was another couple, good friends. I was at the wheel, feeling quite confident in my ability to not only drive the car competently, but also find the restaurant. I'd been there many times before. I approached 2nd Avenue, driving east on Glades Road. The restaurant was located a mile north on 2nd Avenue, requiring that I turn left from Glades. I therefore eased the car into the left-hand lane, stopped because the light was red, and pressed the left-hand turn signal. After a few moments of waiting, the light turned green. Before I had a chance to put my plan into action, my wife said, Take a left here, honey. Five simple words, take a left here, honey. And I felt furious. I jerked my head toward her, snapped, I know, and stepped on the gas. Everything in me wanted to turn right. (laughs) Words flooded my mind, expressions of something other than appreciation for her help. (laughs) And this is a guy that has a, a PhD. This is a guy that's been a Christian for 30 years. He's a counselor. And... You know, as a woman, you may think, well, that's just ridiculous, you know, that you'd be that thin-skinned. I mean, grow up. But let me tell you, it's going to just be a lot easier for you to not say those things than it is for men to change. That If you're going to actually try to solve the problem, because yes, we can grow up. Yes, we can try to become more mature. Yes, we can try to control our anger. But at the the bottom of all that, underneath all that, is a very legitimate, God-given need for respect that's not going away anytime soon. So it's not that hard to just not do those little things that, as silly as it may seem to you, make us feel disrespected. Because, like I said earlier, you're not a man. You you, you may be surprised to know there are all sorts of things about women that men find silly and ridiculous and hard to explain. And part of having a successful marriage is saying, I'm not going to demand that the other person be like me. And once you understand what it does to them, just being okay with that. So commanding, same thing with contradicting. That's not how it happened. Well, no, actually it was like this, especially in front of other people. Just avoid it. Avoid contradicting your husband in front of other people. Lastly, the last area of disrespectful behaviors is complaining and comparing. I'm specifically talking about complaining to other women about your husband, talking about you know what a, what a bad husband he is in this or that area or how disappointed you are with him. 
in this or that area. I have heard, I don't know from personal experience, but I have heard that this is a pastime among some women, and it's not okay. We had a whole sermon a few weeks back. We're not going to re-go over all the scriptures, but we went over all these scriptures where it talked about how uh, inappropriate it is to talk bad about another person behind their back. And that's nowhere more true than it is with your own husband. You feel like you have a right to talk bad about him because he's your husband. No, you don't. More than anyone else, you shouldn't. You shouldn't complain about him, and you certainly shouldn't compare him to other people, other men. That's the other thing we looked at a few weeks back was all these scriptures about the absurdity of comparing any two people. And nowhere is that more true than your husband. Don't compare him. Even if he doesn't know that you're doing those things, those behaviors are making this attitude of disrespect become more entrenched in your heart and in your mind, and it will come out. So those are the three, just a starter, I could go on, but three uh, areas where, you know, we should have a woman do one of these sermons, right? It's really kind of unfair. Um, three areas where you can avoid showing disrespect to your husband. I want to close the sermon, wrap up by talking about the connection between the first half of the sermon and the second half, because these aren't just two random disconnected topics we're looking at them in the same week for a reason and that the reason is they're, they're closely related to one another and they exist like i said at the beginning in this symbiotic relationship and in one way or another you're going to end up with a cycle in, a, in some sort of cycle with these two areas so it can be a, a virtuous cycle it can be a good cycle where the man is being more open and so the woman is falling more in love with him and growing in respect for him. And the man feels respected, so he feels free to more, be more open, and the woman feels a growing respect, and it goes on and on and gets better and better. It can be a virtuous cycle, or it can be a vicious cycle, where both parties have unmet needs. And the man's unmet need for respect makes him close off all the more. And the woman's unmet need for openness and honesty makes her criticize and complain and attack all the more. Because a lot of times when a woman is criticizing and complaining and attacking, she's just looking for something from the man. Some openness, some honesty. She's trying to puncture that wall that he's put up. And when the man is withdrawing and trying to hold back, he's crying out for respect. He's not going to open up because he feels so disrespected and that's so painful to him. And this is vicious cycle where it just goes on and on and you keep criticizing and so he keeps feeling disrespected and so he keeps closing himself off and you get further and further apart. And what's tough is that you can become entrenched where you know what's happening, you know this vicious cycle is occurring and you say, well, I'll change when he changes or I'll change when she changes. If they make the first move, then I'll reciprocate. But you're locked in this cycle and you're not going to be the one to step out of it. And the reason for that is the person who goes first has to take a tremendous risk because for a man to open himself up in an environment of criticism feels extremely risky and puts himself, it feels like he's putting himself in danger. And for a woman to start respecting a man that's closed himself off and is withholding is really risky because you're, you risk making a fool of yourself, respecting this guy that's never going to be worthy of your respect. And the reason we're talking about all of this in church, why it's a sermon and not just some talk about marriage at the community center, is because ultimately you can know what needs to happen, but ultimately to make that leap from where you are to where you need to be because it requires risk and because it involves great vulnerability to make that happen, you need the power of God in your life. You can't jump, you can't make the leap of faith without having seen what God's done for you. 
Christ came to us first. Christ made the first move. And when you see the way God moved toward you, and when you see the love that God has for you, it gives you the security to go first. That's your responsibility as a Christian. It's your job to go first. And husbands, you hear me talking to you, it's your job to go first and pretend the wives aren't here. And wives, you hear me talking to you, it's your job to go first and pretend the husbands aren't here. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for making the first move toward us for not only risking rejection, but undergoing rejection. Not only making yourself vulnerable, but undergoing great suffering because of how we mistreated you and how we took the love that you wanted to show us and and threw it to the side. But we're here this morning because that love has made an impression on us. We've come this morning because we realized our mistake in and we're moved by the way that you've taken a step toward us. And we ask that on the basis of that, that as we look toward you, you would give us the courage to make a step toward our husbands or our wives, to start making an effort to meet their needs, even if our, un, our own needs are going unmet in a certain area. And as, you do, as we do that, that you would work on their hearts too, that you would soften their hearts, and that as we begin to open ourselves up to each other and meet each other's needs. We would fall ever more deeply in love as you planned for marriage to be from the beginning. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.